This morning is a very special morning and service for our church in that we have the wonderful privilege of commissioning Kendra to go to Africa. And um, we who have known Kendra have been wonderfully, wonderfully blessed. And I know you can say a hearty amen to that if you know her. She's been such a joy to our hearts. And it is with joy that we uh, are going to have this commissioning service uh, for her. For Kendra's commissioning service, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, if you would, please. And um, have you follow along as I read verses 25 through down through verse 40. Acts 8, 25 through 40. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza, This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this, He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away, Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they were along, as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water! What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. This morning, we're acknowledging that God is doing just the same thing to Kendra that he did with Philip. He spoke to Philip and said, get up, go to a certain uh, road there, a desert road, and uh, he was going to meet this fellow, the Ethiopian eunuch. We're not even told his name. We're just told who he was, and that's it. And God says to Kendra, get up and go, and it's to Africa where she is headed. 
But what do we learn about this getting up and going? In fact, uh, I've entitled this morning's message, When God Sends You. When God Sends You. What do we learn? Well, for one thing in this chapter, we meet the Billy Graham of the first century. How about that? You and I meet the Billy Graham of the first century. In fact, he's even called Philip the Evangelist over in Acts 21, verse 8. In our chapter, we learn Philip held citywide crusades, and he also did evangelism one-on-one. For example, look at verses 5 through 8 of our text, chapter 8 here, verses 5 through 8. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And the crowds with one accord, so these are crowds, They're all hearing him with one accord. We're giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with loud voices, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. And then as you saw, the Holy Spirit said, Get up and go to this desert road, and there he was to minister to just One individual, maybe also those who were with him later on, but to one person. Notice verse 40 of chapter 8. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So we see that he was doing evangelism citywide as well as one-on-one evangelism. Do you know why Philip was so excited and overjoyed about doing evangelism wherever we found he find him? It's because he met the resurrected the Lord Jesus Christ, who had changed his life, and he knew that he was sharing, listen, he knew he was sharing the greatest message these people would ever hear. And that's why he was excited about sharing the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why Kendra's going to go to Africa? If you ask her, she'll tell you that her story starts back about 15 years ago, when she was 11 years old. Now you can figure out her age. Okay? 11 years ago. Now, I know that God was working in her life through her mom and dad and other people here in this church and other churches as well. But but eleven when she was 11 years old, she was attending Awana here in this church. And a fellow, we call him an evangelist, by the name of Will Kennedy, Gary and Sandy Hines' brother-in-law. Will Kennedy, Will Kennedy came, and he was speaking at that at the council time, at that Awana session, and it was there that Kendra opened her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, inviting him in, got wonderfully saved, born into God's family, and from that point on, Kendra's life changed. And it's true, by the way, of every person who has such an encounter. But notice again that God sent somebody to tell Kendra, probably somebody's if you please, as he has for you and me as well, who have come to saving faith. And now 15 years later, she is on her way to Africa. When God sends you, something happens. And you go. 
and you serve Him, and God works. We often give credit to the Apostle Peter for being one of the first or the first to invite the Gentiles into saving faith because he went to Cornelius' household, who was a Gentile, and of course their hearts were opened up. But frankly, it may that 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 uh, blessing might go to Philip the Evangelist because I imagine this Ethiopian eunuch was a Gentile, perhaps a Jewish convert, but a Gentile nonetheless. How did he come about that he got saved? Well, let's now join Philip the Evangelist to answer that question. The first thing God wants us to see is that it all began with the work of the Spirit. As I was preparing this message and looking many times in the 8th chapter of 8, God was really speaking to my heart. And I want him to speak to your heart, and Kendra, I want him to speak to your heart. And this first point is so significant. It all began with a work of the Spirit. Why? Because the unsaved are spiritually dead. I'm not sure that we all buy into that. That every person born into this world comes into this world with a dead spirit. Physically alive, yes, but a dead spirit. God makes this truth very clear in the Scriptures that He's given us and He's preserved for us because listen to what He says in Ephesians 2.1. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins and you were by nature children of wrath. Do you see why it has to be a work of God, the Holy Spirit? In every person's life, that's going to get saved. I go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Adds a little bit more to this whole concept. The unsaved are spiritually dead, and therefore it must be a work of the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul writes, And even if our gospel is veiled, it means he goes out, we preach that Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Christ, He is your Savior, He's the only one that can give you eternal life, He's the only one that can forgive your sins, He's the only one, He is the way, the truth, the life, the only one that can get you into heaven. But what happens, he says, I know that in many cases, this teaching, this gospel, this good news is veiled from their eyes. It is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world, that's Satan, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Why don't they recognize and receive the Lord Jesus Christ? Because they are spiritually dead. Add to that verse 6 of Second Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to it. For God who said, listen to these words, light shall shine out of darkness. Where does that take you? All the way back, all the way back to Genesis 1, the creation. And God spoke and light sprung forth out of darkness. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What beautiful words. What is he talking about? People are spiritually dead. The Holy Spirit begins that work, and suddenly as they hear the gospel of who Jesus Christ is, they understand their sinful condition and the consequences of that, and they hear what Jesus has done for them and what he offers them freely, and they respond to that. Suddenly there's a light that takes place, and they're born into God's family. 
In 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural man, that's the unsaved man, that's how we all came into the world. The natural man, listen, does not accept, there it is. Natural man just does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they're foolishness to him. I don't need this. I've got my own ideas of who God is. i got my own feelings about what happens after somebody dies. I'm not all that bad. He does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And listen to this. And he cannot understand them. Why? It takes the work of the Spirit. Cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. And in Romans 3, verses 10 and 11, and dear ones, I know that many, many Christians just don't really get hold of this. They don't fully conceive what God is saying. As it is written, there is none righteous. What? He's talking about the unsaved. None righteous. Not even one. There is none who understands. There's that word again. There is none who seeks for God. You say, but wait a minute. There's masses of people seeking for God. Not on God's terms, they're not. Not on, oh, by the millions they seek religion. But they don't seek God to receive what He says about them and His own character, what He's like, and the only way they can have eternal life. It must be a work of the Spirit. Dead men do not respond to anything. But secondly here, tied in with that, the Holy Spirit must do a work in them. The Holy Spirit must do a work in them. I think of John 16, 8 through 10. And He, the Holy Spirit, when He comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, Jesus said, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Who will do this? Who will bring such conviction to the heart of a dead, spiritually dead, sinful, fallen man? Who must do this? It must be the work of the Holy Spirit. In John six forty four, Jesus said, No one can come to me. Wow. That's what he said. No one can come to me unless... The Father who sent me draws him. And then in John 6.63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, Jesus said. For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. I love Acts 16 verse 14. Paul and his team were there in Philippi. And he's given the word out. A certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, not saved, but a worshiper of God, was listening. There you go. God the Holy Spirit doing work, was listening. It says, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by God. It's the work of the Spirit. He must do that work. In John 3, 5, Jesus said, truly, truly, that's emphatic. That's Jesus being so emphatic in the Greek. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, the Holy Spirit did a work in Kendra when she was 11 years old. That's why now, when God sends you, she goes. 
to Africa. Number three, this is the point that really hit me this past week. I don't really want to get away from it. Really hit me. The work of the Holy Spirit, listen, the work of the Holy Spirit is a sovereign work. The work of the Holy Spirit is a sovereign work. This is one of the hardest biblical truths for God's people to get a hold of. But when you do, it becomes in your heart a powerful, life-changing truth, especially when God sends you. And every believer has been sent by God, by the way. Though this particular service focuses on Kendra and her commissioning to go to Africa. But whenever this truth gets a hold of you, it becomes a powerful, life-changing truth. Listen. Listen. Your salvation, your getting saved, is completely the sovereign work of God. Where's my amens on that? Every person who ever gets saved was chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. That's First Peter 1. What's he talking about? First of all, God says, I chose them. I chose them in eternity past who was going to be mine. And then there was that sanctifying work of the Spirit. What's that mean? That is that work of the Holy Spirit bringing you to a place of hearing the gospel, knowing that you're lost, seeing that only Jesus is the only one who could save you and give you eternal life in heaven, and you respond and Him giving you life. That's what He's talking about there. And what's the result of that? It brings you to obedience, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. Paul tells us that God chose us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. You weren't even around, neither was I. I realize that's a hard truth for many people to get a hold of. But just stay with me. Let God bless you like I was blessed. And he clearly states as that as Paul states this great truth that God is completely sovereign in your and every other person's salvation in Romans 8, 29 through 30. For there he writes, for those whom God foreknew. And that doesn't mean that God's, oh, I see what you're going to do. That's not what that word means at all. This is part of God's decree. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined. He predetermined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. What does that mean? It means you somewhere along the... He, he did all this in eternity past before He even brought the world into existence. And then He brought the world into existence and you come up to the time when you were born. Do you recall that day? Well, probably not, but at least you know when you're born, the date. And then you move through life like Kendra, and when you're 11 years old, or for you, whatever year it was for you, whatever day, what happened? God called you. He opened your mind and heart and understanding, and then He justified you. He, The Holy Spirit infused life into you, and you became born again, born from above, and you belong part to part, God, part of God's family as one of His redeemed children. And then He goes on, He says, those He justified, He also glorified. He's in that process right now, and He's going to complete it. <laughs> Philippians 1.6, He's going to complete it. But then there's those most, listen, Let's go do gymnastics with this. 
Those most thought-provoking words by Paul over in Romans chapter 9. Before I get there, let me say this to you, though. Does that mean you don't have a part or role? Listen, if God has brought you to a place that you know you're a sinner, if there's a hunger in your heart, that's a work of the God. If you're here today, it's probably, I can say, a work of God that you're here because He's reaching out to you and this is taking place in your life, and I trust it is. But listen to these thought-provoking words by Paul in Romans 9 now. And by the way, you can do whatever you want, but if you take it at face value, you just can't get around to what he's saying. He says, what shall we say then? Is there no injustice with God? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Paul's conclusion. So then, it does not depend on the man who wills. What? I thought I had something to say about this. It doesn't depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. And believe me, it was. Paul goes on, so then. He has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. Here it comes. Listen, here it comes. Here is your my voice here. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? I don't like how Paul answers your my question. He says, on the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from one the same lump one vessel of honorable use and another for common use? I don't like that answer. Why? Because it crushes my pride. Crushes my pride. By the way, if God doesn't do a work on a person's heart, they keep going the same direction by determination and purpose. They want nothing to do with Him. They want to come to Him on their own terms. And their heart is deceitful above all things and desperately. I mean, that's the route we go until God comes in and steps in there and the Holy Spirit infuses life and suddenly we cry out, my Lord and my God. Well, let's establish this from the text. Look at the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in this morning's text. What did the Lord Jesus Christ commanded his disciples to do? You know from the book of Acts. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. That's what he asked them to do, or told them to do, I'm sorry. And what happened? They did an incredible job in Jerusalem. In fact, so much so that even the religious leaders accused them of filling the city with their doctrine. But they had not even begun to reach out to their neighbors in Samaria, let alone the rest of the world or the earth. So what did God the Holy Spirit do? Keep in mind, God the Holy Spirit. What did he do? Enter the sovereign Holy Spirit. He purposely designed to use Stephen and to use a young zealot known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a hate-filled man toward Jesus and his followers that no one could believe could possibly be saved. Keep that in mind, will you? I mean, even Ananias said, whoa, wait a minute, I know all you, we've heard all kinds of things, we know who this guy is. And God said, you go, he's now a chosen vessel of mine. 
God says, I'm going to use Stephen. He's going to preach the gospel to these Hellenistic Jews there in that synagogue. And they're going to rise up in anger and wrath. And they're going to stone him. They're going to kill him. And Paul, Saul of Tarsus is going to see all that. And that isn't the end of it. Because Saul, after that, he's going to go out with great zeal. And he's going to go after this church, after these followers of Jesus. He's going to apprehend them. He's going to beat them. He's going to put them in jail. He's even going to murder some of them. That's what's going to take place. Now, wait a minute. Who's behind all this? Who's caused this to happen? The sovereign God, the Holy Spirit. And so where do we find Philip? He's going to Samaria. They wouldn't have gone there otherwise, but the church is scattered because of the persecution, and he begins to preach the gospel down there. And guess what? God, the Holy Spirit's mildly working, and as a result of that, the Samaritans are coming to saving faith. But I love it. Here he is having an incredible ministry, just like Kendra's had a wonderful ministry here in this church. And God says, the Holy Spirit says, come along and says, wait a minute here. That's wonderful, but Philip, it's time for you to get up and go to this desert road. <laughs> and there he does, he obeys the, the, the Holy Spirit's voice. He goes that desert road and he sees this caravan come along and the Holy Spirit says, Run! Go up to it. Join yourself there. And there he preaches the gospel to this guy. We don't even know his name called the Ethiopian eunuch. And what happened? God wonderfully saves him as well. Sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. Samaria was reached because he used the death of Stephen and a zealot, just like we have zealots today, and ISIS and so forth, who really believe in their cause, and Paul or Saul believed in his cause, and he uses them to get the, er, the, the, the church scattered, to get there to Samaria and the other cities, and even this Ethiopian unit because of that. That's the power of God. But let me give another illustration. The sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in reaching, and many of you know this story, the Yali tribal people. The Yali tribal people. I just marvel because now we get into the 20th century. And what God the Holy Spirit's doing, or did even then, and still doing today. Stan Dale and Phil Masters and their wives were sent by God, the Holy Spirit, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to these Yali Stone Age tribes. They're in, in uh, New Guinea. Stan Dale and Philip Masters and their wives went there and they were having some fruit after a period of time. Some of the Yalis were coming to saving faith. And, uh, Stan said, you know, now that you're saved, you need to bring all these fetishes and that you dedicate to worship the great spirit Kimbu and you need to burn them. Well, some of them did, but others of the Yali tribes were very much agitated by this. And later they went out, uh, that is, uh, it was uh, a couple of the Yali evangelists went out and uh, to reach some of the other uh, Yali tribes and they were killed by these Yali warriors as a result. In fact, during that attack, uh, Stan was hit by five arrows, nearly died, but God said, Nope, I'm not through with you, Stan. The word went out to all the lower Yali tribes that if Stan and the others came, they must kill them. Otherwise, the uh, great uh, uh, Kimbu spirit would result in uh, bringing wrath upon them. They must be killed. They said, beware, because these white men don't die easily. But you must kill them in order to avoid this wrath that uh, Kimbu, the spirit, will bring upon us. One day when Stan and Phil were with the Yali believers, they were making their way to one of the lower tribes. They were attacked. 
And they stood there as across the river, both Stan and Phil, and they shot arrow after arrow. In fact, as I understand from Don Richards, the story that he shares, they were saying, die, die, die. Why won't you die? They shot arrow after arrow after arrow in them, and finally they fell and they died. A month later, an Indonesia patrol was sent in led by Don Richards, author of Peace Child and Lords of the Earth. If you've not read those books, I'd encourage you to read them. They're very good reading. The patrol came to apprehend the Yalis who were responsible for murdering Stan and Phil. And the Yalis called the guns that they heard going on, fired, they called them booms. They said booms, you know. But they did not know at all what they could do. So they mocked the soldiers as they came in. And they began shooting arrows at them. And then finally one of the soldiers set up his tripod and placed his machine gun on it and began firing. They couldn't believe it as one of their tribal people, warriors, fell. They were looking for arrows and there were no arrows. And the result was that five of them were killed that day and one of them was taken back, apprehended back uh, into the civilization. While they were shooting, Don Richards and the other missionary guide prayed that somehow God would spare the Yalis. Well, it said a total of five Indians were killed. Surely Satan had won the day, keeping the knowledge from hearing and coming to saving faith into Christ. And Don was greatly burdened about this, that that would close the door to the gospel for years and years to come because of the hostility that had taken place. But the work of the Holy Spirit is a sovereign work. Two months later, a missionary with Aviation Fellowship, Missionary Aviation Fellowship, the pilot was taking the Newman family from Portland, Oregon, and was flying them in these same mountains. But he thought that he was in a completely different valley ridge as he battled the torrents of rain and fog. He couldn't see where he was going, but thought that he was going to, if he got down lower and kept flying straight ahead, that he would come out facing the landing strip. But he wasn't even flying in the right ridge. In this ridge straight ahead towered a 14,000-foot mountain. As he dropped lower, it became even more rugged and narrower. He clipped off one of his wings on a tree, and the plane went crashing down. The tail end was ripped off. Everyone was killed but nine-year-old Paul, who suffered no broken bones whatsoever. He crawled out of the broken tail section just before the plane caught on fire. Having lost his glasses, his vision was blurred. Little did he know that just, listen, (laughs) little did he know that just 500 feet or so away from him was where the Yalits had murdered Stan and Phil. Right near the wreckage was a bridge crossing the river, and above that, high on the mountainside, nine-year-old Paul saw what he thought was huts, but really were boulders, He began making his way across the bridge and up the mountainside toward those rocks, unaware of all the eyes that were watching him. At the top was one Yale who had pled with the other tribal warriors not to kill Stan and Phil, emphasizing that they had only done good since their coming to them. He warned them that terrible things would happen if they killed them, and the soldiers had come and executed five of their members and would possibly be coming back to do more harm. Now, this one Yali with a tender heart saw this little white boy crawling out of the wreckage and working his way up the mountainside. Little Paul saw this dark savage with a bone in his nose 
but who had tender eyes as he reached out and gently took him by the arm and took him to his hut and began to warm him and provide for him. It would be through this that that tribe and many more would open their hearts to the missionaries and then to the gospel and be wonderfully saved. God, the Holy Spirit, sovereignly orchestrated every aspect of all that went on in order for that to take place. And dear ones, He always does because He's God, He has a plan, He has a purpose. A plane in the wrong ridge. A plane that went down right by the bridge by the tribe that had killed Stan and Dale or Standale and Phil Masters, a tribe that had been set on its heels by soldiers who came with guns and executed five of their own, a tribe with one Stone Age native filled with tenderness, ready and longing to make things right. Only sovereign God could orchestrate all of this and save lost souls, dear God, dear ones, when God sins. He sovereignly accomplishes His purpose. I don't know what he's going to do through Kendra. I just know that sovereign God will accomplish what he purposed, dealing with every aspect of her life and her ministry. That brings us to the next part very quickly, the witness of the servant. By the way, that first, that part we just talked about, the work of the Spirit, this work of the Spirit is a sovereign work. It should just impress your heart for why you should live for the Lord Jesus Christ. He will accomplish His purpose. Yield to Him and live for Him. The witness of the servant. Philip was prepared. Look at Acts 6, verses 1-5. through 5. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men, listen here, of good reputation, full of the Spirit, they could tell that, and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Obviously, he was prepared. He was walking in fellowship with God, daily living for his glory and his pleasure, and knows he was sensitive as well to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He was quick to obey the Holy Spirit. He wasn't even told why God wanted him to leave his successful ministry in those Samaritan villages and go down to this desert road, but he already know what to, he already knew what to do. Get that. He already knew what to do. And that was to go and proclaim Christ. The only issue wasn't the what. It was the where. And Kendra knows that God's saying, Africa. As one commentator said, it's amazing how many times Christians need to be reminded what they are supposed to be doing. And we know the what. It might be an issue of the where. Listen, when like Philip, you prepare yourself, God will send you. Do you get that? When you prepare yourself, when you're walking in fellowship with Him, growing in the Word, God 
will send you. That early church recognized that Philip was prepared and they blessed him as he went out to serve the Lord. We as a church know that Kendra is prepared and already she has been faithfully serving the Lord and it's with joy that we commission her this morning and send her out when God sends you. Number two, Philip's presentation. We can learn something here. Philip's presentation. First, he immediately responded to the Holy Spirit's prodding. Look at verse 29. He immediately responded to the Holy Spirit's prodding. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go, go up and join this chariot. I have wondered why people don't get saved. My life, your life. You know, the Holy Spirit is still speaking today in my heart and your heart just like he was back there to Philip. Opportunity upon opportunity is provided for us. No wonder Paul said, pray for boldness in Philippians chapter 1, lest he be shamed of Christ. And that's where we often find ourselves, and I can understand that. Because we know that we're at the opposite end because most of these people don't want to hear about him. They've got their own religion. It's kind of like politics. We don't talk about that and so forth. And so we know the response. But really, remember what I said? It's a sovereign work of God, the Holy Spirit. We don't know who he's going to save. And we come up with the conclusion, well, Saul of Tarsus absolutely cannot be saved. Look, a guy like that can't be saved. And the Holy Spirit steps in and says, I'll save whoever I want to save. The hardest. The softest. We don't know who he's going to save. And so he says, go. As he moves on your my heart, we need to share. We need to share. By the way, this was a very busy, well-traveled road. There were It wasn't Philip down there waiting for some chariot to come along. There were chariot after chariot on that road. It was a very busy road. It's the main road out of Jerusalem, going north and south. But he told him which chariot he was to join himself to. Look at verse 30. Philip ran. I like that. (laughs) He ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? So I want you to give consideration to Philip's immediately responding to the Holy Spirit. Listen, if he would not have run, the chariot would have gone by and that opportunity would have been missed. Boy, you talk about being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. How many opportunities do we miss? Missed opportunities. Number B, he began with the Scriptures. Look at verses 30 through 34. He began with the Scriptures. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this, He was led as a sheep to slaughter as a lamb before it shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life was removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? He began with the Scriptures. Once again, consider, listen, consider the sovereign work of God, the Holy Spirit, in this situation. I mean, to save this people. Evidently, he became a Jewish proselyte while living in Ethiopia. We don't know that, but that's probably the case. He ends up in Jerusalem either on business or for the Jewish feast. And then what possessed him to buy a scroll? Now, they didn't all have Bibles like you and I have. 
Certainly didn't have cell phones with the Bible on it. All these translations. No. He gets there and he decides, I'm going to buy a scroll. He could have bought Genesis. How about Leviticus? That would have been a shocker. No, he chooses to buy the scroll, Isaiah, the prophet. But it doesn't stop there, dear ones. How many chapters? I realize they didn't have chapters and verses back then of the scrolls. How many chapters are there in the book of Isaiah? Somebody tell me. Sixty-six. How did it happen that he just happened to be in that chariot reading what chapter? The 53rd. How many verses are there in this scroll of Isaiah? Well, you don't know, but I do. There's 1,292. I counted them. 1,292 verses. And where is he reading? Verses 7 and 8 of Isaiah 53. Now listen, if that isn't a sovereign work of God, the Holy Spirit, I don't know what is. I want to drive that into your heart and mind, or that is the Spirit of God does, because He is the one who sends us. He is the one that came and got you saved, and He will save whoever He wishes to save. Just go and share the Scriptures and let God, the Holy Spirit, Save those people. I mean, really, we find ourselves believing that he can't save these hardcore zealots. Are you kidding? And some of the people that we think, oh, they can easily come to saving faith, and they flow through life, and you share with them, and they're real sweet and kind, and they never get saved. And you wonder, well, what in the world is this anyway? Well, it's a sovereign work of God, the Holy Spirit. And by the way, remember this, always use the Word of God. For he said, my word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. He said, my word will not return to me void, but it will accomplish that for which I have sent it forth. I think of those that share their testimony. Gus Matero, who worked with CEF many, many years. I'm sure he's home with the Lord by now. And Gus said, I was shared the gospel. Uh, uh, one of the, I think it's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And seven years later on my farm in Minnesota, I was convicted. I got out of my bed and I knelt down and that verse came back to me and I got wonderfully saved. Mike Riddle. Same thing. I don't remember what verse it was, but he told his testimony. Somebody shared with him. I think it was Navy, wasn't it? And years later, that verse comes back. Share the Word of God. God will use you, but I guarantee you He will use His Word. And so He was doing so here. Number C, He explained the Savior. He explained the Savior. Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began, beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Somewhere you've got to get to the main person, Jesus Christ. They cannot get saved until you confront them with Jesus Christ, who he is, why he came, what he did for them, and why they must receive him and put their faith in him. They can't get saved until you get to that position or that place of explaining Jesus Christ to them. One man's comment may very well be true. He said, I think some of the reason that people reject Jesus Christ is because he hasn't been well enough presented so they really understand who he is, I might add, and what he did for them. Number D, he shared the need to get saved. He shared the need to get saved. Verse 36, as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Somewhere in there, He shared Jesus Christ and the need for him to get saved. 
And he realized, i got to put my faith in. I don't know whether uh, verse 37 belongs in the text. The oldest manuscripts don't have it, but it still fits. Because he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the fact he wanted to be baptized. The witness of the servant. Now we come to the will of the seeker. Very quickly, the will of the seeker. The Ethiopian eunuch's profile. What do we know about this guy? Just quickly. The Ethiopian eunuch's profile. He was a person in a high official position. Verse 27 brings that out. So he got up and went, and there was the Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. The king of Ethiopia at that time was considered a god who was the son of the solar god, son, I'm sorry. He therefore was considered too sacred to do anything except sit around and be worshipped by the people. His mother handled all the affairs of the state and had the title Candace, similar to the rulers of Egypt having the title Pharaoh. At this time, Ethiopia encompassed all of Africa south of Egypt. This Ethiopian eunuch was an official of this queen's court who also oversaw Ethiopia's treasury. Number B, he was a very religious searching individual. That's good, isn't it? Something in his heart was hungry. He was searching. Very religious searching individual. You can discern how God had been preparing his heart. He evidently had converted to Judaism and was in Jerusalem for one of the feasts. Well, there he purchased this scroll of Isaiah 53 and was reading it. And his entourage, they left the city, headed back to Ethiopia. And by the way, he had 1,200 miles to really digest what was being said. That's pretty good. Number two, the Ethiopian eunuch's profession. And we saw that, verses 36 to 40. His profession. First, he expressed faith, didn't he? Starts there. He heard who Jesus was, his need for him, and he expressed faith. He believed. B, he desired and submitted himself to baptism. (laughs) Beautiful. He understood the importance of that. He said, look, I believe. There's water. I don't know where they found water down there besides the Mediterranean Sea, but look, there's water and he steps out. By the way, understand this. You see Philip and him. No, he had a whole entourage. There was a whole bunch of people traveling with this guy. He was important. And so all of them are standing around. I wonder how many of them got saved as well. As he probably went on his way explaining some of the prophet Isaiah to them. So there are a lot of people around who saw that. And then number C, he went on his way rejoicing. Isn't that good? Whenever a person gets saved, whenever they met the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who created this whole universe and who came to take their sin and their punishment and died on that cross for them. Whenever they finally see Him and God opens their eyes and they ask Him into their heart to forgive their sin and to give them eternal life and they know it's, it's like an explosion that went off. I mean, this guy went on his way rejoicing. I love what happened to Philip. It says the Spirit just took him and he disappeared. And the guy didn't need him anymore. He just went on his way rejoicing. Not great. Oh, you dead people, I'll tell you why. You, I, I mean, you know what's wrong with us? We haven't seen anybody get saved for a long time. You let God use you, you start praying for people, you start witnessing them, you start using tracts, and when you begin to see people getting saved, and their lives transform, I mean transform, and they're filled with the joy of the Lord, and they know they're forgiven, and they know the Lord, the real God of the universe, and he, He's their Heavenly Father, and He's their Savior, and they know for sure they're going to go to heaven. I mean, they're filled with joy, and boy, that's what impacts the church and makes it go. My. Like Philip, we have to meet the unsaved 
lost individual on whatever road that they might be on, and from there lead them to Calvary, using the Scriptures in our own testimony. Well, very quickly, application when God said, just very quickly here, like Philip the Evangelist, let's live in the Spirit for surrender of self. If you're not surrendered, you're not going to be used by Him. Live in the Spirit for surrender of self. Learn of the Spirit for knowledge of Scripture. For He wrote it. He will teach you. He'll bless you. You'll begin to use it as you get to know it. Get familiar with it. Learn of the Spirit for knowledge of Scripture. Number three, lean on the Spirit for strength of service. Even direction there. Lean on the Spirit for strength of service. And four, be led by the Spirit for the salvation of hearers. Just a simple thing to think about. Edward Kimball, a Sunday school teacher in Boston, decided to visit a pupil in his class that the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit burdened him to do this. That Saturday, he led Dwight L. Moody to the Lord, who became the Billy Graham of the 1800s. Amazing. Just a faithful Sunday school teacher, listening to the Holy Spirit, went out that Saturday, talked to this one boy in his class, and that boy happened to be D.L. Moody, who became the Billy Graham of the 1800s. D.L. Moody was used by God to greatly affect Wilbur Chapman, a prominent evangelist who then was used to enlist Billy Sunday. Some of you have heard of him who reached thousands for Christ. Through Billy Sunday's ministry, evangelistic ministries were launched that reached Charlotte, North Carolina. A guy by the name of Mordecai Ham was invited to preach the gospel in one of those meetings in Charlotte, and a young man came forward and gave his life to Jesus Christ. You know that young man's name? Billy Graham. When you don't think you have much time to offer, remember that Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball, who spent a Saturday afternoon reaching out to a young boy in his class. God has a special way of using routine faithfulness and the smaller things to accomplish great things. It's our joy to commission a young lady, Kendra Bowers, who was reached by Will Kennedy and her dad and mom as well, and others who have faithfully ministered to her. Now there's an explanation that's needing to be said. God knows the words that will come out of this guy's heart, whether he gets them out or not. Okay? That's Kendra's dad, of course. And Kendra, our hearts are filled with joy, hon. We just rejoice how God has led in your life and the fact that we've gotten to see you. And by the way, there were a lot of tears that were shed when Paul and Barnabas were sent out of the Antioch church as well. So, so you want to know that. But boy, God and his sovereignty had incredible things in store and did great things and we know that's true of you as well and we as a church body your brothers and sisters here we're especially close to you and we are committed to hold those ropes in prayer and encouragement we're going to be here for you and i assure you that and the elders here have had the wonderful opportunity to get to know you and see you walk with the lord and serve the lord and it's our joy to pray over you at this time and so I'm going to begin with Abel here. We'll go around, and then I will close. Just go ahead and put your hands on her, please. Thank you so much, Father, for this time you've given us to be here before us, Father. Father, I just thank you, dear Lord, that uh, you brought another person up, Father, from this body to send out when you separated from us, Father. 
I thank you, Father, for the willingness, uh, Father Kendra, to go, Father, and the desire that you put in her heart, Father. I just pray, Father, that uh, where you send her, Father, that uh, she will be fruitful in the ministry you set up for her, Father. I thank you again, Father, for uh, Kendra. And, uh, Father, thank you, Father, for bringing her in the family. Yes, amen. And, uh, Father, to watch her grow, Father, it's, uh, it's amazing, Father, how she just uh, latched on, Father, to wanting to become a missionary, Father. I thank you for that, Father. And, uh, Father, I just uh, pray that uh, you will bless her in a special way in the ministry you send her in, Father. Thank you. Lord, I just uh, bless you to be here to pray for Kendra. Lord, I just thank you that you gave up the desire of her heart. Lord, uh, just go to Africa and minister to people, people that don't know you. Lord, I just uh, pray that as uh, she travels there, you just give her a safe trip, Lord. And just uh, the hearts of the people that she will be ministering to the Lord. Lord, then you'll come to know you. Yes. We can't just bless her. Amen. Father, we, we thank you for Kindred. I thank you for the opportunity that I've had to get to know her. Lord, you, you've known her since before the foundations of the earth, and you have a plan for her. Thank you for that plan. We trust in your plan, Lord. Thank you that she has a desire to uh, serve you, to honor you, to share the gospel, to do commandment. Thank you that she has a plan for that desire, and that she's she's. Uh, Responding to your call, I pray that you would give her boldness as she goes to preach the gospel, to show your love. Lord, we pray that you go before her and prepare her way, that you'll keep her safe. Yes. Lord, give her, just do great things. Lord, I pray for her family as they stay here at home and have heart. It must be to watch her go. And Lord, the joy as a, as a mother and father to, to see the daughter desire to serve and love you and answer the call. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Father, you are a great and awesome God. And there is no greater joy than to be able to walk with you and to serve you and to know the fellowship that you give us, God, as we surrender ourselves to you. I thank you for Kendra, God, and just for her tender spirit that um, looked beyond her size. And, Lord, to be able to uh, to have a desire, Father, to be used by you in, 
ministry reaching out to lost people, God. And Lord, we pray that you would do great things with her, and, and Lord, that she would just experience the uh, just real joy of seeing the fruit that you're going to bring forth Amen. from her life, God. Lord, I thank you that you have proven your calling upon her by helping her to raise the support that she needed, the money to get to the destination she's going to. And God, these are just all um, really miracles in this day and age to, uh, to see happen, God. And so I pray, Father, that you would just um, keep us as a congregation focused, yes, Father, yes. upon supporting her in prayer, supporting her financially, and God just uh, supporting their parents as well, God. And we love you, Father, and we thank you that uh, we do have the joy of serving <laughs> Father, thank you for this day. And this opportunity to be here. So many years ago, Kira made this decision that, that you were leading her to go and to serve. And God, I just thank you that uh, her heart was there and her heart stayed to, in tune with your calling. It could have been very easy that yes. you know, just been gone by the wayside after all these years. But God, you let her. And she's followed. And as she goes now, God, again, I just pray too that each and every one of us will become faithful senders. Not only just to lift her up in prayer, but God, the entire team is going to be over there. For the, all the others that are serving you, Lord. We'll be faithful in praying. We'll be faithful in giving. And God, just think of the joy of the Lord that's in her. It's going to be shared to those. And I just too, I see prepare hearts of those that she's going to come in contact with. Yeah. That they will be open to you, Lord. Lord. And knowing God that it's not going to be kindred that's going to say anything to anybody, but it's going to be your word. It's going to be the Holy Spirit. So go with her, keep her safe, God. Yes. We know she belongs to you. Heavenly Father, I, I'm just overwhelmed by your sovereign work uh, before you ever said let there be a heaven and earth you already had ordained that Kendra would be born and she would become born again and she would go forth sent by you and serve you bringing glory and honor and praise to you in doing that and uh, we elders stand around her and say, we give you praise and thanksgiving for all that you have done and all that you're going to do in her life. I just marvel about how, Lord, you were able to take the early church and get them to Samaria and to the Gentiles. How even the Yali tribe, no matter what Satan did, he could not thwart you. You would bring them to saving faith that a sea of people would uh, give you praise and glory standing around your throne and reigning with you. And Lord, you're sending Kendra forth and others as well. But tonight, this morning, it's Kendra we're focused on. And we want to say praise you and thank you for what you're going to do in and through her life. And we do ask, would you protect her, not just physically, but morally, spiritually, emotionally. Lord, the warfare out there is very real. 
And yet you provide that which is needed for the strength that she needs. And Lord, bring alongside her those that will be her encouragement as well, like Jonathan was to David. Maybe down the road, Lord, there's a godly young man you have that's going to come into her life. And if that's your will, we praise you for that, for your sovereign even in the affairs of marriage. And Father, we would ask again, as she goes forth, that Lord, you'd go forth with her. And may the word of God conquer hearts to the glory and praise of you, Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Kendra, we have a... um, I want to read this so the rest of the body knows what's on it here. Certificate of Commissioning. This is to certify that upon the recommendation and request of the elders of the First Baptist Church of Arlington and after satisfactory examination by us in regard to their qualifications, Kendra Bowers was duly commissioned as a volunteer to serve under the authority of Altley this 14th day of August in the year 2016. Bless your heart.